a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. On this episode of First Lady and Friends, we have a friend. Uh, her name is Dr. Susan Madsen. She is incredibly brilliant and has done wonderful, amazing things in the area of women in leadership and all kinds of research and, and much, much more. She's uh, she's the inaugural Karen Haight Huntsman Endowed Professor of Leadership at Utah State University. Go Aggies. She is also the founder and director of Utah Women in Leadership Project, which focuses on strengthening the impact of Utah girls and women through increasing college completion rates and helping girls and women find their voices and become leaders. There's a whole bunch more stuff, but we'll stop there because you're going to hear from Susan. Let's get proximate. Welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. You know, you and I met, we were just talking about this. We met several years ago. Yes. Down in Ephraim. Do you remember that? Yeah. We were doing a number of rural events and around the state, and we just had such a great reception from Snow College down there and loved having a panel. I did a presentation and then had a panel, and you were on the panel, and I loved it. Yeah. It was, we talked about how nervous I was, and <laughs> it was one I of the first things I've done. You've come a long way because <laughs> you were nervous, but it was a big crowd. It was a great crowd. I, I remember the great energy down there. Um, and excitement. And we really focused on some of my real loves. And that is how do we get more girls and young women and women to think about college, go to college or go back to college and stay in college and graduate. And then also, how do we help girls and women find their voices and their confidence and really want to use those voices for good? Uh, whether it's their families or in their communities or whatever they're passionate about. Um, and uh, a lot of women, as you know, Abby, girls and women in the state of Utah sometimes think that it's not their role to use their voice, that it's someone else's job, that it's maybe their spouse's job. Um, but what I know is it is our role as women to use our voices. I love that so much because um – I think as we do that, we see a change in, in girls as they use their voices. It's it's very, very powerful. Um, let's go back a little bit to your background. I, um, you, Where are you from? Where did you grow up? Um, what was your family of origin like? Uh, and, you know, kind of how that all shaped what you do now. Oh, thank you for that question. I don't talk about this too much because I'm sharing research and doing things all the time when I'm on radio or, or do speaking and so forth. So, so I love this question and I appreciate it. So basically, I was actually born in Cottonwood Hospital and lived in the state of Utah, was raised in the state of Utah till I was 11, over in Hunter, Kearns area. That's where I lived. Um, and then my family, when I was 11, moved up to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. So northern Idaho was there for four years. And then Moscow, Idaho. I went to high school and two years of college at, at Moscow, Idaho, at the University of Idaho. So in my family, I was raised um, by wonderful parents. But I have six brothers, and I'm the only daughter. So I have one older brother, there's me, and then I have five younger brothers. And um, love that. That really shapes shaped me. And through my research through the years, I've actually interviewed 10 women governors across the United States, 
top women leaders in other countries and really looked at how their siblings and their home environment impacted them and especially when it comes to leadership. So I've done a lot of self-reflection on that. And um, one of the things I love is that I think part of the reason I have such a strong voice is I was raised with a bunch of men, and I'm not intimidated when I'm in rooms with a lot of men. My brothers are all tall, athletic people. I'm an athlete as well, and there's all kinds of fun sports. I think you and I have talked about this before, the power especially of team sports in developing leadership for girls and young women. So I was raised in that environment, and I always had leadership roles in my church. I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. My father actually taught seminaries and institutes Mm -hmm. his whole career for the church. Um, But I wasn't in Utah, so I had all kinds of opportunities to sing and lead and teach dance to to um, youth for dance festivals and roadshow acting and and just all kinds of things so I really appreciated that I also also was uh, raised with a lot of sports and a lot of music so I sang but also did violin and cello and and was always involved so I was a busy person I was raised to be busy I'm still I still like to be busy and I have no problem being busy <laughs> these days I create if I have you know five minutes of, of space then I create something new but I appreciated my parents um, being really strong influences they were teachers so that teach I found great joy I have to say in developing others and teaching others in fact one thing you might appreciate is that um, as I was thinking back why I have a voice especially with people that maybe are governors or, you know, more senior than I. And and one day I was thinking and I thought, you know, when I was 13 years old in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, I had adults come to me and ask me to teach them piano lessons. I started okay. teaching piano lessons at 13. Most of my students were teenagers older than me or adults. And I absolutely found joy and passion in watching them get better. And I knew that I had something that they needed, even at such a young age. And I had a great confidence. I developed that um, and that joy. And I think that was one of the reasons that I kind of grew up with a, a voice. Um, my dad, before he passed away a couple, well, three or four years ago, one Sunday I was in his house. He leaned over to me and said, you do know that, that you were the most aggressive of our children. <laughs> um, I can relate to that. <laughs> I, even with six brothers and all of our sports. And I thought, okay, okay. I always had a voice whether, um, I don't know, some of it comes when you're born, I think. You know, it just comes yes. with you into this world and some is developed. But I don't know if that's where you wanted no, me to I go. No, I think that's perfect. <laughs> and, um, you know, as you're talking about that and, and your your experiences, I, I'm reflecting, too, on mine. We When we launched our initiative, Show Up, we, we did it at, and we've talked about this before, we did it at Bridal Up Hope, which is a place, I, I think you've, you know of it, but the, it was... Um, when they told us about their program, it's a, it's about helping young girls to really develop their voice through working with horses mm-hmm. and training horses. And I, it was so funny when they explained the program to me. I sat there thinking like, oh, my goodness, this is exactly what I learned, but nobody articulated it to yes. me. That, so I that was is so learning true. to use my vo- voice with horses um, when you can control a 1,500-pound animal <laughs> with your voice and your commands, um, it's really empowering. And so, you know, any program, obviously horses but were, were what I had. But I think um, any experience like that, you had piano lessons, you had um, diff- sports and different experiences like that where you used your voice and learned how to be more um, – powerful, I guess, in your own way. Exactly. You know what's so interesting in the research? And and actually, I just helped finish a a paper that really emphasized this. Oftentimes, we have fabulous experiences that are developmental or help us, you know, practice and develop leadership, yet we don't connect them with leader. It's called transfer of learning. 
And one of the things that we can do as influencers, whether I, I use that word very intentionally, whether it's you're a parent or a grandparent or an uncle or an aunt or a teacher or a neighbor or a church, you know, a youth leader or something, the more that we can connect and help people of any age connect their experiences with what they're developing, it's powerful. The research Mm -hmm. supports this, that those connections, you know, if someone's really struggling with something, like like my daughter occasionally when she was in high school or junior high would have a soccer game that she was super frustrated about. And then, you know, I could just guide her with questions. And then, so what do you think you learned from that experience? And then you connect it and, and, you know, well, maybe now I know how to deal with conflict better. Well, do you know conflict is actually a really important leadership skill? Yeah. So that connection of things can be really important. Um, and even, Abby, what the research is finding is that if you do that connection when you're older, even, that can provide some. For instance, I did a lot of research on motherhood, how motherhood can help you develop leadership. Most moms don't know that. But later on, when you connect that, then you can go back and reflect on it. And actually, it changes your identity. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. As you're saying that, I'm I'm thinking of my own experiences in motherhood. You know, I've been a stay-at-home mom for 22 years and, and all of a sudden kind of thrust into a role that's, that, that is a leadership role. And I, I reflect many times on the lessons I've learned as, as a mother um, and all the experiences I've had that sort of prepared me for what I'm doing now. So, I'll yeah, that makes a lot of sense. give you a copy of my first book because it'll help you connect a lot of things with leadership development. Absolutely. Well, I want to continue this conversation about girls and how we get um, – teach girls how to be leaders and and to to continue to use their voice and to be empowered. So we'll we'll continue when we come right back. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. We have Susan Matson, Dr. Susan Matson, here in uh, studio with us today. Uh, we have been talking about women and leadership, and specifically, I want to revisit this topic uh, and continue talking about girls. I have a 14-year-old daughter. She's my only daughter. So so she she really relates to you. <laughs> I grew up with all these sisters, so that's Oh, did you? Yeah, I have I have uh there's eight girls in my family and oh, two boys. Wow. And so. I have one daughter and three sons. So so oh, actually they... my sons were easier in some ways to raise because I hadn't experienced a sister or anything in my home. so That's true. That's it really true. does form you, like we talked about in the last seg- segment. It really does form who you are, how you see yourself, um, even if you're the middle child, if you're the oldest, if you're the youngest. Yeah. It's so fascinating. I really challenge girls and women when I work with them to... You don't want to stay in the past, you know, forever, but there's a powerful part of leadership development that comes when you go back to the past and think about the experiences and the people and the types of situations you were in and and why you do the things you do and how you developed from those. So I'm a real fan of those. My first two books, I I really focused on stories of high-profile women leaders. Wow, that's that's incredible. Yeah, birth order and and all that, you know, family of origin stuff. I think it is where, powerful. Where were you in the birth so order? So I'm number five. Oh, so you're five right of, smack in the middle. <laughs> I had to I had to do a lot to. I think again, I can see how that shaped um, my my leadership and and the way I interact because um, I I had to when you're f- number five of ten, you. You have to do a lot of something to get attention. <laughs> well, that, but I expect you learned some of your collaboration skills that way. 
your your persuasion skills in some ways to older siblings yeah. and persuading younger. You probably did caregiving, you know, with siblings. And I don't know, you learn a lot more than people think. I learned a lot learn. about conflict. I'll just oh, tell you that. <laughs> well, I did too. So. so, yeah. And especially with my own kids, I've learned a lot about conflict. <laughs> but no. do you do, I mean... Does that mean now you're pretty good at, con- at dealing with conflict? Sometimes people are, and sometimes people just try to avoid it because of their background. I know. I was going to say, I probably, I'm pretty averse oh. to okay. conflict. Um, I I can get, I mean, I'm pretty fired up, but I don't always, I don't know. Yeah, You'll have like, to think about I, that. I know. I was going to say, I'll have to think through that, but I am and, usually and, pretty conflict averse. And, and the great thing is when you think through it and you understand these unconscious things that, that may have formed how you respond and how you behave, then we have more choices. Mm-hmm. We have choices to decide to do something with that. Either leave it alone or say, you know what, this is not serving me as well as I would like in this role or whatever you're doing. I want to. And we do it not in woe is me because I was raised like this or hooray or whatever, but it, we do it in terms of of I want to develop and we can be happy about that. Yeah. You know, we can be happy about changing ourselves and being better and being more effective, not woe is me. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's really important. And I think anytime we're um, reevaluating and learning, I think that's a really powerful tool. Um, so I have this daughter. What what should I do? <laughs> what oh, should wow. I do with her? <laughs> no, how do I, I guess how do we, you know, as as mothers, as as parents, as fathers, how do we um develop that leadership? What are what are some really concrete ways we as parents can sort of um encourage or or develop that lead, those leadership skills in our in our young girls? That is a great question. I would go back to what I said, one of the best to start. There's so many things I could talk about, but but what I found is parents that really understand the growth mindset. I don't know. Have you have you read the book Mindset by Carol Dweck? I have not read it and okay, I you need, need to, to read it. <laughs> but I I know the, the con- basic the, concept. Yeah, the concept. Get into of it. reading it because it will actually talk about how you respond to not just girls but boys and then it has some gender. Um but there are some parenting things that and and if your kids at 14, you're not too late, right? We can do better um in terms of that, but Thinking about how you approach that growth mindset, most, I really am of the belief, and I've seen some research, that generally speaking, we socialize our boys more towards the growth mindset and our girls more towards the fixed mindset. We say, and we don't know it often, we say things like, you are beautiful, you are smart, you are, it's like a state of being, And with boys, the growth mindset is a becoming, not a set being. So it's a becoming. You worked hard. You put in effort. You know, I appreciate you. You did the best you could, not you are smart. So a girl often will... um, Maybe she'll fail a math test and then she's like, it's all or nothing. I'm now not smart. I am not beautiful. So... So it's it's more extreme. So we have to really, as parents, watch our language. I wish I would have known all this when my kids were really young. Yeah. I have to say that. Um, so that's important. And then that piece that I talked about specifically about reflection, I have I've been writing a lot on this. Is how we help people, not just our kids, but we. I have grandkids now and and neighbors and so forth to really help them by asking really good questions. That's the key is asking the right questions to help them think about their connections to learning. And we can do that with positive things. We can do that with neutral and we can really do that with hard things Um, because learning to girls 
more than boys, we don't like to fail. We don't like to struggle. We don't like to put, yeah. we're socialized differently. We have different biology, you know that, yeah. um, that not having as much testosterone, you know, we don't take as many risks. But what we know is we can develop those things. And the more that we connect that learning, the more that what we call leadership identity we um, So let me go back real quick, because boys are naturally socialized much more often to see themselves as leaders than girls. So think about that. And in our culture in Utah, we often even exaggerate that a little bit more because of, of some of the cultural things um, and beliefs through the years. So we have to work harder, and we need to continue to do that with boys. We don't want to forget the boys and young men. We need, we need them to be confident as well. But we need to continue to work on girls and young women and women, grown women, no matter what age, see themselves as leaders. The research continues to say that that's one of the biggest gaps. Mm -hmm. If you don't see yourself as a leader, let's, let's use a concrete example. If you don't see yourself going to college, you're not going to do the stuff you need to do. You're not going to put in the application. You're not. If you don't see yourself graduating from college, let's do that. I think yeah. you know that research that a lot of girls and, and women in Utah, they say they're going to go to college, but they're not thinking they're going to graduate. Right. So they're just, you know, they're not doing maybe taking the classes or thinking about it in terms of staying in for four years, then you probably won't graduate if your mind's not there. Yeah. So if you're not thinking about even seeing yourself as a leader, you're not going to seek out the experiences that you can. And Abby, you know what? Almost every experience can be attributed to leadership development. Definitely sports. Yeah. Definitely, you know, music. um, um, Girl Scouts, I have to give them a plug. I wasn't a Girl Scouts. I had to butt into Weeblos and Bears. <laughs> I tried to I get did. my book signed, and yeah. my mom was like, you don't, this is for boys. I was like, I need something signed. <laughs> I did uh, 4-H. That did was you? a leadership thing. That I they mean, I went some... to some great leadership conferences. Um, I, I remember going, I was, I was 15, I think. And my mom stuck me on a bus in uh, Salt Lake. That was good for you. Oh, it I was the hear. most terrifying uh. thing that ever happened to me to that point. And with 50 strangers, complete strangers. And it was this 4-H leadership trip to California. And so we went down and we stayed in an, on the Navy base in San Diego and did a lot of fun activities, but we also, you know, you probably had a good stuff. time. By the time you get back, you're crying because these people are have become <laughs> just such dear friends and um, just huge confidence builder for me to just be thrown. I mean, I don't know that I could do that with my kids. I've tried a few of these things. We actually have done. Sometimes We've done, it's the parents issue, not the kids. Well, I it have really to say. is. It really is. I mean, we've, we've sent our kids to HEFY. Um, and it's a, you know, humanitarian trip, but again, it's the same idea of really trying to get confidence by doing something really scary and, and they're independent. But there's some safety nets around them. Very and much so. Very much so. I, I mean, they all came back. So <laughs> in one piece. And, and you worry for boys sometimes about uh, boys camp, right? Scout camp. Oh, yeah. Do they yeah. come back, you know, especially after hearing the war stories, but, um, but, you know, all of those experiences really matter. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing how important parents, of course, but influential people can yeah. be as well. In the research that I've published through the years, um, there's usually at least one or two really interesting influential teachers mm -hmm. throughout the years. Oftentimes for girls, it's it's between... 10 and 13, so a 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th grade teacher. And that's the reason is, is because there's a drop in self-esteem. So boys and girls, oh my gosh, I could get going on this topic. <laughs> so boys and girls, generally they have about the same level of confidence until puberty. Mm -hmm. And then things change. And it's, and I ha have to say, we've always said 10 to 13, but uh, puberty is hitting girls uh, at nine, eight, and even seven years old, and then things start to change. Then you see a drop in confidence, 
And girls typically, unless there are really intentional interventions, do not get the confidence back equal to boys and young men. Isn't it makes me sad in a yeah, lot of like ways? Ever. Yeah, yeah, but if we are intentional, yes, there are so many things that we can do, um, and and that is really based on two main things. So one is some genetics. We could we don't want to get into hormones and differences today. We don't have that time. But second, it's subtle socialization, sometimes not so subtle. But we do things for girls that we don't do or for boys sometimes than, than we do girls. In fact, I was just speaking yesterday of something talking about a study of fathers. So fathers especially, mothers are pretty similar with what they do with sons and daughters. But fathers really unconsciously encourage their boys, well, consciously sometimes too, <laughs> towards being risk taking risks, and they protect their daughters. Now think about that because that's been touted as such a good thing, protect the girls. But what happens is at two years old already, girls are asking for help three times more than their sons to their fathers. I mean, they're asking their fathers for help three times more than their two-year-old sons. And it's more socialization than anything, protecting, being kind. But think about what that does. Less, less, you know, they're not taking the chances. They're not getting out there. They're not getting the strength. They're not getting their fingernails dirty in the dirt yeah. sometimes. Um and then we wonder, you know, later on in life, they, what happened? Yeah, that's so interesting. So I have this, so you talked about that growth mindset, and I know, I know enough about it. And again, I, I'll, I will read the book. Um, Thank you for Because that's what I do. <laughs> You're committed publicly I am committed. now. I'm going to read that book. Um, but I've had this time with my daughter where I, where I see or hear very well-intentioned very kind people in her life, mm. very influential people in her life, say to her on many occasions, you're so beautiful. Oh, yes. <laughs> I know where you're going with this. And again, you, you mentioned this earlier. You said, you know, when, when you say you're, this, that's, not, that's nothing she can do anything about. Yeah. Yeah. And but we focus, Abby, you know this. We focus from the time they're so little that, you know, sometimes when they're really little, we say to the, oh, what a beautiful baby boy or whatever. But then there's really a split. It, I, I don't know the exact age. But what we do is continue to focus on, on looks. And we do that, actually. Now, you're going to smile at this. But even when we go, you know, when there's couples events. So I'll go. and And the man is introducing his wife. Usually the first word is, here's my beautiful wife, right? Yep. And what, so with my husband, I said, I still want that, but that has to be like third. <laughs> third down the list. So here's my confident and really smart or whatever yes. you want, because that's what, and you know what? I've introduced him sometimes and I, he and I have a joke going and I'm like, here is my utterly handsome <laughs> husband like throw the looks out but what we do know getting back i know i know this segment we just have a minute or so but when we continue to focus on the looks it does it really does damage and 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 now you know i have a i have trouble i have a two and a half year old granddaughter she is so darling. I mean, she is, and and I struggle. I mean, seriously. I yeah. wish you could see her. She has these biggest eyes. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's so so adorable and cute. And I'm like saying to myself, you are so sturdy. And you're, I'm like, oh, that's not a good, you know. But you're so smart. Look, you know, trying. But but again, I'm challenging myself. Not you are smart. You worked hard. Is the effort yeah. is what we want to emphasize. So that that's a tough thing as a mother, though. Maybe having more open conversations about here's what society does. And even though it feels good, just know you're so much more yeah. than how you look. Yeah. It's that's, tough. Those are definitely conversations she and I have had because, uh, you know, somebody will say something like that and I'll say, you know that that's not what you're about, right? But, oh, you know, good. I will say things like, 
you know, you, you know that you, you are working hard and you are, you know, you're, you're kind to people and that means yeah. a lot or something, you know, something like that. We, we've had those conversations because I almost cringe and it's terrible. Like it's a compliment and people are it trying is. to be so yes, kind. It, it's not intended to be anything other than, um, you know, kind or whatever, but it's, I am always sort of reiterate this. Somebody says she's beautiful. I'm like, um, you know, <laughs> I'm not saying that you're not. I'm just I saying. I think you will really enjoy reading that book, Mindset, because it has, it doesn't really hit that head on, but I think it'll give you some ideas. But yes, um, the way we continue to talk about looks and external, our body, um, it has been shown, and it's more and more because of social media. We can get into that in the yeah. next segment if yeah. you want. But it's all about girls, and and I mean, it's all about looks for girls, and girls internalize that. There's so much sexual objectification, um, you know, with girls and, and young women, and especially in Utah. We can get into that yeah. if you want later, too. <laughs> okay. Well, we will take a break, and we'll be right back. We are back here. We have, are so privileged to have Dr. Susan Madsen here. She is a, an incredible author, speaker, coach, researcher, keep uh, going, Abby. Past Just educator. Keep <laughs> <laughs> Those are all the things you you are working so hard at, and so that's our our, our growth mindset. <laughs> Great, I love it. Um, we were talking in the break a little bit about. Um, you know, I was talking about my dad. My my dad is was pretty great. You know. Any any guy that can um, raise eight daughters, amazing. <laughs> it's pretty, good. and we were not easy. We were we. Were, I remember times we teased and teased, and yeah. <laughs> it was great. But he he put he puts up with us, um, he, and he and I have always actually had a really really good relationship. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, he's he's he was a he was my best friend growing up. He's pretty great. But he, I remember very specifically him teaching us about um, education, how important education was. Um, and he, he would tell stories about how he was in college and how most of the women, you know, this was back in the 60s, uh, most of the women were there just, if the women were there, they were just there to find husbands. Yeah. And I remember him very um, bluntly telling us, that's not what you're about. Mm. You are about getting um, an education. You are about graduating. Um, from college, it's not just go there. That's to find wonderful. Yeah, that it was message, very explicitly said that, to us. That doesn't get out all the time in in yeah. families. Yeah, so it was. It was. So I I do have to thank him for that. I I always had a really strong desire for education. It was an expectation that we just knew that was there. Um, you know, and it's a, an expectation I have for my kids. And 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 now you jumped in and went right after high school, right? Yep. Yep. Went went right to college, um, went to Snow College, and then went to Utah State. Oh. And there was a moment That's I remember. That's why you said go Aggies. Yeah. <laughs> go Aggies. Okay. Uh, there was a moment I remember um, I was nervous because Spencer was graduating. I was oh so close, but because of some um, issues with my um, student teaching, I was mm -hmm. education, um, I had an extra set of an, an extra placement mm -hmm. and Spencer was taking off and I was like, what do I do? And I just remember having that moment where like, what if I don't graduate? Oh. And I was like, no, 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 that's not a, that's not a thing. And anyway, worked it out, ended up doing student teaching in Virginia while Spencer was in law school. Oh, that's but, good. Yeah. My husband and I, we, I had just gotten married and we actually separated. He had to stay someplace for a semester and I needed to go do my student teaching okay. at um, Lakeview High School in Orem, actually, at the time. Um, and then, then we're still married. We got together. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we I, were, I was worried that that's what was going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I thought that may be what had to happen with us but because of some absolutely incredible professors and people oh, that helped wonderful. me at Utah State we we worked it out and and you know do that. we I was glad yeah I always I was raised in a traditional family very traditional but that education you know that graduation was always so important to me and continued education and as you know I I have a master's degree. I did my master's, actually. I tried to resist getting married. I was a little older. Um, um, but but I, I did it. And then and then 
did a master's degree in Portland, Oregon with two little kids and then started my doctorate degree at the University of Minnesota with four kids. The youngest was three and the oldest was 11 when I started. Incredible. So, but I'm glad I did it then. It was, it was really meant to be and, and, um, well, and I think Love a powerful example, don't you think? I mean, I see I see women who are going back and with kids and stuff, and I think that's a again a really tangible example of of you know the the importance, I guess, of education to you is for absolutely. Your kids. And and I just want to give a plug that if you're not familiar with the Utah Women in Leadership Project, our the website is utwomen dot org, but we have so many resources like. Uh, that can be used to talk to your daughters or your people around you that you influence. We have a one-pager on why women should go to college and graduate and just has reasons down there. So, uh, And then we have lots of videos and stuff. But if those of you listening in are interested in what, how do I have conversations with my daughters or people around me to help them go to college or want to be a leader or seek leadership – just know we have lots of resources. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. That's what I was just going to ask oh, you about. <laughs> I really want to talk about you. So you started this Utah Women's Leadership Project. Yes. Um, so let's talk about what that is, um, how this got started, and what you're doing now. That's great. So in 2009, really early in the year, um, I was connected to the – I was contacted and uh, by the Commissioner of Higher Education for the state of Utah. And I had before that, I was doing work on, on women's leadership and, and just passionate about girls and women and, and all of that. And, and the commissioner came, I knew him, and he said, you like girls and women stuff. Um, are you interested in doing some research for the state? Because what we know in the state of Utah, he said, was that less women are actually graduating from college than the rest of the nation. And so can you figure out deeper, you know, what's going on? And I said, well, you know, this was 12 years ago. I said, I can do that. I can do research on that. Do you want it to be research or part of my doctoral work and what I've done through the years is social change? And, or do you want it to start a movement? And he's like, whatever you want to do. <laughs> so <laughs> I said, well, you know, I'll take on a one-year project. So I did this extensive work, and then I'm like, okay, I think it's a two-year project. <laughs> this is too big for one year. And um, and it's 12 years later. Yeah. So I started with that education focus, really looking deeply, and, and that research is still applicable on on what's going on in women's minds. What are the influences in terms of the people that graduated from college versus those that didn't even go to college and in between? And we found some striking findings and then really got so many requests to take on the leadership piece. And so we started in 2013, really some research on on leadership uh, for women. And, and I kept thinking it was going to end and now I've just embraced it for the rest of my career and life. <laughs> this is so this is you now. <laughs> yeah, so really our mission as you said at the beginning is to strengthen the impact of Utah girls and women and we've kept it pretty broad because we really are the hub of research for girls and women in the state of Utah and re- not just research but research resources like we have our own podcasts and videos and events and all kinds of things that we've captured in terms of podcasts and videos and we have infographics and different ways to share our resource our our research and um, other things and then we have events of our own and I do a lot of speaking as you know at others so we have a lot going but we partner with all the women's groups really in the state of Utah so we have so many resources on there, and we're doing some great um, curriculum now. We were able to get some funding from the legislature, so so I've it's I've needed help for a long time. I get up about three and work a lot, so we have a couple of people helping, and we're developing just so you know a whole curriculum set on imposter syndrome for oh, girls, wow. for young women, and women on on what that looks like and. And um, all kinds of activities and so forth. So we're going to have a lot of exciting things launching. So we're moving forward with it. But we do research. um, I just want to put this plug on all kinds of things from women in business to women in nonprofits to state boards and commissions. And what we do is really 
women in business all over, you know, every every sector almost. But we compare Utah to the nation. So most of the time I'm making people feel uncomfortable. But what we know from change is you have to do that. We also do research snapshots on all the areas, and we have a lot more coming out, related to things that impact girls' and women's voices. So those things, we have one next week um, in the near future coming out on girls, young women, and physical activity, and we compare ourselves to the nation. We've done things on domestic violence and sexual assault and voting and cosmetic surgery and body image. And, um, oh, we have a lot. We're coming out with new ones on human trafficking and and uh, poverty. And some people say, how does, why are you doing, you're a leadership project. Why are you doing things on poverty? Well, think about it. If a woman is worried about feeding her children, if she is worried about her safety, will she have the confidence? Will she use, be able to use her voice? No. What we know is she can't. So all of those relate to absolutely. women's leadership in the state of Utah. Yeah, absolutely. You you touched on this maybe just a little bit, but I think I want to get into this um, political leadership oh, for yes. women. Um, obviously, this is, this is a little bit of, of my wheelhouse, um, but... Talk a little bit about why women don't run for office. Oh, okay. I thought you. I thought you were going to go the other way. Why women do, but but don't is more applicable in some ways. Um, Well, it really starts. There's many many layers. It starts with that thing we talked about: is women don't see themselves as leaders. When you don't see a lot of women leading, unless you're really intentional, you you just don't see yourself running. And we have so many men who are in politics and and, uh, particularly in the Republican side, which is so prominent in our state. And that is really controlled still by men. There's there's some women. um, There's only actually in our state legislature right now in our Senate, just one Republican woman. Um, Yeah, because Deidre left. Yes, (laughs) yes, she did. Um, So it's really important. That first thing is, is if you don't see yourself as a leader, you tend to not run. And then sometimes people continue to think that, that it really isn't their role or they don't have the skill set. We as women ruminate over those kinds of things. We don't feel confident. We're not used to being in charge. We don't see that that's our role. We see another reason, not just in Utah, but nationally, is politics can be really ucky. Do you like that professional word I just used? Yes, I, I, I feel um, it in my soul. <laughs> Actually. Um, it, it is very masculine. And usually masculine and femininity and the way that styles appear in workplaces are invisible to a lot of people, even women. They don't. They'll go to a tech company and they'll think, oh, it's going well. And then they're like, I don't belong here. So they'll leave. And then the CEO will ask me, well, we're hiring women. Why aren't they staying? I said, because you have a masculine, invisible masculine culture, and it doesn't welcome women in. Well, this is not even invisible. It's visible in politics because it's so aggressive in some ways. But we only see that piece of more aggressiveness and not that feminine or collaborative side that's there too. We just don't see it. Um, So I could go on and on on that. But um, what we know is, I'm just going to be bold here, but what we know is in the state of Utah, we must, and I will say must, we have to have more women to better serve our residents. We right now, I mean, states that have less women a lot less money to education, healthcare, social programs like like domestic, and we we don't give very much in this state to programs for domestic violence, sexual assault, you know, some of the poverty. We just don't as as our legislative body. We just don't, and that's typically attributed with less women in power. That's interesting. I um, but can I just say? The research around religious cultures, I'm not just talking about our religion, our prominent religion in Utah, but all religious. Oh, my gosh, there's some amazing research. More religious cultures in general have less women in power. 
and by the way, have more sexual objectification, more higher pornography rates and, and so forth. I think we can do something different and remarkable in the state of Utah. I think we can be more of a conservative, moderate state like we are, but also value women more. Also value strength, no matter whether it's coming from men or women. And so I think we have to be intentional in the state of Utah to make those changes. I do too. And I think um, voters, because I've been on, you know, the the other end of voters' frustrations. Um, to say the least. <laughs> just, <laughs> you said it, that very nicely. To put nicely. it mildly. <laughs> to put it diplomatically. Um but I think we as voters actually have to change our minds. Yes. Oh, good point. I mean, I, I think as voters, we we see that male leadership and that confrontational style and say, well, you know, I need somebody that's going to get it done and, and be, be bold and aggressive. I think maybe that hasn't worked always that's as actually, well as we wanted to. So maybe yeah. we need to rethink. Yes. What we're looking for in but a that's leader. sexism and and we don't like to use that word in Utah. I never used to use it, and then a couple of years ago, I'm like saying it every day now. <laughs> and because I think we, I have learned a lot about it, and and there's hostile sexism and benevolent sexism, and I, we don't have time to go into all of that. But what we know is, a couple of years ago, there was a state by state ranking, and Utah was the second worst or the second highest in sexism, mm. and very high for men's sexist attitudes, okay. but even slightly higher for women's sexist attitudes. Yeah. So, so many of the questions they asked are really um, questions like men should do this, women should do this. So mm-hmm. whatever the question, like, no, men and women have totally separate roles and women shouldn't subtly, and this is not just the state of Utah, but women should be in more private roles and men should be in public roles. So what what this study was saying is women are actually even slightly more than men saying, wait, women are not supposed to do that. So if there's a woman running for office, it's like, wait, something feels wrong. Of course, it feels a little uncomfortable because we don't have women. It doesn't mean it's wrong. As much as we should. But but often women can be, should I say it, on public, are are worst enemies to other women. Um, And we, what I love, though, about this state is I am seeing so many women step up, including most, not all, but most of our female legislators who are supporting each other yes. and lifting women and encouraging other women to run for office. And I've seen more men do that, too, for women. Uh, we have a long ways to go, but I'm seeing some real progress. Yeah, I think so, too. And I and people like um, the lieutenant governor is, you know, I think she's awesome. She's incredible. <laughs> um, she's she's warm and engaging and she's powerful and smart and really collaborative and I I think she's someone we can look to and say um, she's she's doing exactly the way you know she's doing it the way it should be done and she's a powerful example to so many others that can say I can do it yeah. and maybe her personality is different and maybe yours is 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 not as um Maybe you're not as bold, but you still have some ideas and leadership you, looks different. It does. I, I think that's why people I think people have in their head what it looks like. And I'm not that. And I mean, I, we just last week we had an incredible um, public servant, uh, Tammy Pearson from from uh, Beaver County. She's a commissioner. And I I just love her so much because she she just shows what it I mean, she's a rural woman doing this, a job that no other woman in her yeah. county has ever done. And it it doesn't and all she's look bringing, the same. But if, if she can bring her authentic self yeah. 
to that and not try and be like men. That doesn't work. You years ago, that's what women like CEOs were trying to do. You know, wearing really masculine clothes and but that what we know is that really doesn't work. I mean, we do we do need to bring I kind of have this style be, between kind of a man and a woman's style, but we have to be assertive and do those things, but we can find our authentic voice and leadership if if you're an introvert listening in, there's a great book called Quiet that is really powerful. In fact, um, former uh, Speaker of the House Becky Lockhart loved that wor- that book. And she saw it in my office years and years ago when she was sitting in there and she was like, I love that book. Um, but it really shows how powerful introverts can can be. Yeah. And they don't have to do leadership like other people. But wow, having... Having introverts, extroverts, men, women, people of color, people with different ability levels all together really working for the common good of the state is what we need well, moving we, forward. We know all the research shows that that diversity of thought, diversity of experience, diversity, gender diversity, every, everything yeah. contributes to the to the best outcomes. That's, and we need to move towards yeah. that. What's yeah. That's what I really appreciate, I have to say, about you, Abby, and, and Spencer as well, or the governor, should I call him the governor? Yeah, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> is that that is a priority. And I've been working with Nubia Pena on She's one fantastic. of the four, six pieces of the One Utah Roadmap, uh, specifically around equality and opportunity. And I'll tell you, there's some great support there. This is the time that we're really moving forward. And this is not, I do, I, do, I know it's time to conclude, but I do want to say one more thing. Um, and that is for men, great men, good male allies. It's not all or nothing. It's not a zero-sum mentality. And that's what I see still all the time is that men who shy away from the topic of women and people of color, they're thinking that it's going to take for them to it's going to take from them to lift women and people of color or whatever. But that's not what the research says. Great men who really want to be inclusive when they lift women, when they lift people of color, they can actually lift themselves too at the same time. It's not one or the other. It's not all or nothing. I think that's a a great, great point. Um, We always talk about binary choices Mm -hmm. and and we're always given binary choices and and we we don't need to fall into those traps. It's a trap. (laughs) It is. It is a trap. There's there's you can have two thoughts in your head at one time and it and it works. So, um, Susan, this has been just such a delight for me and and really a learning experience for me. So I so appreciate you being here and taking your most valuable time to be with us today. Thanks so much. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. For all the latest research, resources, and events that strengthen women and girls by Dr. Susan Matson, please visit Utah Women in Leadership Project at utwomen.org. Thanks for being a friend.